Well, I'm really honored to be here. Let me just first say, Living Springs, way to go. Uh, it is not easy to let your pastor go on sabbatical. Trust me, I've done it a few times at our church, and it's always a challenge. But I told Pastor John, uh, one of the benefits is, obviously for himself, which will be fantastic, but it's really the congregation. It gives you an opportunity to step into places that you normally wouldn't step into, to rise up in leadership that you thought you weren't even capable of doing, to see your staff kind of blossom into a place of just really great anointing. Um, and so, and then your commitment, your faithfulness to be here and listen to who knows who's coming. And of course, Pastor John's really good and who he selects. And so I, hopefully I won't ruin it. It's kind of hard to follow Don Rogers though, really hard. Um, amazing guy, great ministry. And, you know, you know, he prayed about it. He thought about it. We had lots of conversations about it. He was a little anxious about it. And here are a few things that pastors won't ever tell you, you know, uh, <laughs> Just so you know, pastors actually work more than one hour a week. It's, it's really, it's a fact. And I know that's hard to imagine that it's only here for a few hours on Sunday and that's it. But really, there's a lot going on. And actually, the reality is it's more than just being here in the office or visiting you or leading meetings or preaching. And it's what goes on at home. There's just this constant, constant remembrance of you. You get to go home and think about you a little bit, and hopefully Jesus by the end of this message. Um, you think about your family. You think about your situation. You think about your circle of influence. If you're a homemaker, you're thinking about home. If you're in the marketplace, you're maybe thinking about your employees or employers. You're thinking about all of those things, but I, you need to understand what a pastor does when he goes home, he thinks about all of you. He thinks about his own family situation, his own relationships, all of those things. But he thinks about all that you're going through. And in this profession, it's called vicarious grief. He begins to carry the things that you are carrying, and it can be overwhelming. Your pastor won't ever be able to get up here and really honestly and openly say, this is hard. And every Monday, it's like, I'm done. He'll never be able to say that to you because he's part of his calling and it's part of our sacred kind of honor and our ordination to say we love you, we're shepherds, we're in. But every once in a while, we need a break. We need a season of rest. And so I just applaud you, Living Springs, for giving your pastor the honor. And I, and I would just echo that. Yeah, when he gets back, celebrate him well. Don't show up with a whole list of, hey, you know, all these things needed to be done. <laughs> and, you know, that guy Fraser, never have him come back. He's heretical. You know, all those things. Don't, don't do that to him. Just love on him, give him the space. And I'm going to share one more thing that probably Pastor John wouldn't share with you, but I shared with him. When he gets back, it's going to be, he's, I agree, his message is going to be amazing. And because it's going to come from a deep place of rest for him, which is powerful. He's already creative enough. So you can imagine, all right, in these last three months. But there'll be times when he will enter this sacred space and it'll feel overwhelming to him again. And I just want you to give him a few weeks just to gain his legs back a little bit. And so I told him when I return from sabbatical moments when I've had in, in my life in ministry, there are sometimes when I first come back, I would be in the office for a few hours and I would make a few phone calls and I would tell my staff, don't give me all the bad news right away. Let's just pace it out a little bit. Um, and I remember one time in, my, in the most recent sabbatical I had, I was walking through the sanctuary and I got to the front and I began to feel overwhelmed again. It's like, wait a minute, I just spent three months off to get rest. Now I'm, I'm carrying everything back into my heart again. And I felt the Lord say, you have learned new rhythms. Now take advantage of those. Now go home. 
And so I walk back into my office. I walk past my secretary. I say, I got to go home. And it's like, well, you just got back. And I know I have to go home. I promise I'll be back tomorrow. And so just give him the space to learn and to grow with you as he's grown so much in these last three months. You've grown so much. And again, I think this church is amazing. And uh, if I live close by, I'd be happy to attend here all the time. It's good to see some familiar faces. Wow, I was just really blown away as I pulled in. I was like, hey, I know some of these people. And, um, and you'll get a chance to get to know me a little bit. Well, if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, you're going to turn to the very first book of your Bible, Genesis. I made it easy for you. If you can't find it, it's in the table of contents. But it's, it's the first book, promise, I promise you. Unless John's done something crazy here and he's moved the books around a little bit. <laughs> I've got to throw a few of those in while I get a chance. I really do. I really do. But yes, I have known John for a while. Uh, we all, we all kind of started over at Light and Life Long Beach and uh, Zeke and his family too. And we kind of cut our teeth there. And so I've been in the conference about 25 years. I've been at my current church for 20 years. We have two campuses in Redlands and Rancho. So it keeps me busy as I drive around all the time. And so it was really nice. I was talking to one of your pastors. I was coming down. I was driving down here and I was thinking... They don't even really need me. I should just come here all the time. And, uh, but it is a full life, and I fully enjoy it. I am married to Joanne. She's the best part of me. I married up. I really did. If you saw her, you would go, wow, out of your league. Absolutely. Um, and I have been working on that for the last many, many years. I have two children, my son Jeffrey and my daughter Madison. Madison's at Azusa Pacific. She's about to get married to who I call the boy. Um, <laughs> And uh, he doesn't get the honor of a name until after he says, I do, and pays the first check. Um, <laughs> but uh, his name is David. Amazing, amazing young man. I'm so grateful for that. And then uh, uh, my son graduated already, and he lives in Los Angeles pursuing the actor's life. So pray for me. And, um, and if you see him in anything over PG-13, don't Google it. Don't send it to me. I don't want to know. I, I just don't want to know. And... Uh, but I'm really grateful for my family. Well, do me a favor, just for a moment, put everything down by your seat, just set it down, stop fidgeting with your phone, stop poking the person beside you, and I'm gonna ask that you just close your eyes, just for a moment. I promise you I will not run out there and tap you on the head, I will not do that. Um, I definitely will not do that. Just close your eyes, trust me for just a moment. And I'd like you to do this with me. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus in the room. Maybe you're here and you're just learning about your faith. Or maybe you've been here a long time and you've known Jesus for a long time. And I just want to kind of put you, walk you through a little bit of a practice that I do. And just for about 10 seconds. And I'd like you to do it out loud if you don't mind. It doesn't have to be super loud. So extroverts, you can take it down a notch. Uh, introverts, you're going to take it up a notch. And I'd just like you to say the name Jesus as you breathe through the next 10 seconds. So you can kind of follow me if you like. Jesus. 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 Now just pause for a moment and for another 10 seconds, let's just, just be quiet. Try your very best. That'll all make sense at the very end, I promise. But it's so important that we start to learn some new rhythms, and that's my privilege of sharing with you today. So let, let me share a few stories, and we end at 11.15. Okay, I'll, I'll try. I'll try my very best to end. Just, just go and pull me out. Not a problem. 
So uh, about a year or so ago, I was in Dallas. I was at a Faith at Work conference, an amazing conference, learning how to do marketplace ministry, really so that we could thrive on Monday, right? Not just on Sunday, but throughout the week, really bring Jesus into every one of our environments. Powerful time. And so when I get a chance to travel around or speak around, I like to stay a little bit. So I usually book my flight back home a little later. I give myself some ample space just so I can kind of see what it's like in that area. And I'd never been to Dallas. I've flown through Dallas, but never been. So there are a few places that I really wanted to see. And one on the top of kind of my bucket list, top of my list, was the memorial site for the JFK assassination. And so I love history, so I love learning about all those things. And so you go down to Dealey Plaza, and so I gave myself what I thought enough time to get there. Now, I didn't recognize or I didn't fathom in, you know, it was a little farther from the conference than I thought. Uh, you know, I didn't recognize that there would be a little bit more traffic when I when, when it was there. I, I didn't realize that when you get there, you have to stand in a long line and that the tour is actually two hours long. So, you know, I'm on my way there, and now let me just self-admit, I'd also heard that in Dallas they had some of the best barbecue in the world. So I thought, surely I have enough time to eat some barbecue on my way. So I did that. I got there. I'm running late. But that's me. That's my life. I'm a, I'm a person. I'm a type A. I'm moving all the time. Let's just, let's go. Let's get her done. So Disneyland is not so fun for me because we have to get through it as fast as possible, but that's a whole other story. So, you know, I'm there and I'm realizing I have about 50 minutes because I got to get back to the airport. And so I've put my little audio set on and I'm just kind of going through and stopping at the places that I thought this is important. I want to see that and I want to see that and I want to hear this. And then I wrapped it all up and I felt like I had a good experience. I really did. I thought I really have seen this and experienced it. Hop on the plane. I'm flying back and guy from obviously from the south because he was speaking in a language like a banjo I didn't understand fully and I and I'm tracking with him as best I can and he goes oh you know what what I won't even pretend to do the accent and you know what did you do there and I said well I did this and this and I was at this conference and speaking of these things blah 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 and I said you know one of the highlights for me was going to this plaza it was powerful and he started listing off all of these things did you see this and did you do that and did you go down to the street and in the back of my mind I'm like no, I didn't do any of those things. You know, I was, in, I was in such a rush in my recreation that I didn't even have a chance to enjoy it. And I wonder, I wonder in our own lives, are we in such a rush with our walk in Christ that we're not fully enjoying it? There's something that the world begins to applaud about our busyness, right? It's like this badge of honor. I think I have a little cartoon. Why don't we slide through a few couple slides here? And next one, next one. You know, since when did busyness become a badge of honor? It's that idea that if I'm busy, then somehow I'm important. And let's go to the next slide, and you'll, you'll get what I'm talking about, especially in Southern California. This is our life. This is what we think about, even on a Sunday morning, even some of you right here right now are thinking about, okay, this guy will be done at 11.15, I have to be somewhere at 11.30, because I got to do this, 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 and this, and I'm hoping that he won't go over, God, please keep him in the parameters. <laughs> That's funny. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, you recognize all that, we're just going so fast, and there's something that we say, yeah, we got to do that, and you know, we have fast tracks and fast passes. I mean, you go to Disneyland, happiest place on earth, and you want to do it with the fast pass, right? You want to get there and get in the front of the line, or you're at Ralph's, and you know, there's, you're judging the lines before you get up. You're that kind of person, you know what I mean? 
and you're trying to figure this all, and we're just moving it so fast. And, and again, if that's true in our Monday through Saturdays and Monday through Sundays, could that be true in our faith? Could that be true in our walk with God? You know, and I was convicted by a few things about this idea that there's these three types of things that are attached to this idea of busyness. You know, one is impatience. It's that we are just an impatient people. You know what I mean? And you know you're an impatient person if you're around people that are patient and you're annoyed by them. That's kind of the, the litmus test. But I read this quote by Eugene Peterson. I wasn't too happy about it. He wrote about pastors, and so I'll just throw it in the pastor part. And, but I, I'm going to share it with you, and you can remove pastors so you can join with me in the pain of what he's admitting to us. He says this, impatience, the refusal to endure is to pastoral character or character what strip mining is to the land, a greedy rape of what can be gotten at the least cost and then abandonment in search of another place to loot. And that for me was so deeply convicting. Was I living my life in such a way that I just had to grab what I could, when I could, to get on out to the next thing? So sometimes in busyness, it's the spirit of impatience that's happening, and we don't even recognize that. And then, of course, transfer that to your faith life. If, if you're that way in your real world, so to speak, even though the kingdom is the real world, what does that mean in your faith? And what does that mean in the nature and character of God in your relationship? Am I being that impatient with him? Or am I treating God like a vending machine? I put the coins in. You pop out the stuff, God, because I don't have time to wait. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. So let me, let me give you some rules of parameter around here. Um, just so you get to know me a little bit in this one moment. You don't ever have to have me come back, but just so you know me in this one moment. I'm going to get loud, but it doesn't mean I'm mad, just so you know. It's just part of my culture, okay? And the two best answers in church are yes and Jesus. So when they do the announcements, yes and Jesus, and you'll be good. And then if you feel like there's a moment where you want to say amen, you're allowed to do that. Absolutely. You can just, it, it's just right there, and you just go, ooh, and it'll just come out. It'll be great. <laughs> It'll be no problem. And if you want to say, ouch, you can do that too. Not a problem. That's part of my gift, the gift of making you feel in love with Jesus. And uh, yeah, anyway, so we'll talk about that later. So there's that aspect of, you know, recognizing this impatience. And this is this impatience drawing me away from God or putting on God some demands that really are not his to fulfill. That's one, one thing that we deal with when we deal with the idea of not taking time to rest in the Sabbath with him, and which I'll get to in a moment. The second, I think, is about our place of value. Sometimes we think if we're really busy, that makes us valuable. So for instance, you go into a doctor's office. You don't want to go into a doctor's office, and there's only one person in the waiting room. They're, even though you're like, wow, good, I get to get there faster. But in the back of your mind, you're like, is this Dr. Seuss, or is this a real doctor? You know, there's something about busyness that all of a sudden brings up the value. This person, person's really important. One of the things I try to, and I'm going to say this really strongly, I really try to kill in the language of the churches that I oversee is that word busy. I tell the staff all the time, we should not be looking so busy that the first thing out of our congregation's mouth is, I know you're so busy, but... We already know we are. I, I've chosen the word full. My life is full, but really it's just hiding behind that. And, you know, in the Chinese character for the word, when they, they draw the word 
busy, it really means to kill the heart. And so we must, as believers, root that out of ourselves. But there's something that we gain our value and our significance. I'm busy. I've got so much to do because I'm an important person. And, you know, if I'm important and you're on my to-do list, then hey. And if you make it on there, you're important too. And so part of it is there too. And then the third thing is this. It's that word lazy, right? We, we preach that in the church. Like, hey, don't be lazy. But I, I'll just throw it in, the, in a flip type of way of what laziness could be. Could it be that our busyness is actually a form of laziness because we're, we're too lazy to say no? Are you following me? That there's this idea that if I, if I, if I say no, I, what I'm saying really is I'm giving you permission to run my life. But I, I, I'm too lazy to, you know, push it back a little bit. And I think that could be part of our challenges. And the reality is this, it just leaves us exhausted, doesn't it? I, I think I have a slide. Go, go forward, there's a, few, uh, a little kid laying on a couch right there. That, that's us. That's really, that's our spiritual life so often. Not just our, our marketplace life or our home life. We are just so tired all the time. Some of you might even nod off in church. That I'm never offended by that. To be honest with you, I'm not. And I'll tell you why. Because if you find safety in this place and you can close your eyes well enough, that's a good sign. Now, I may get a little loud to get you ready to go again. <laughs> But I recognize it's because we're going at such a pace, we're not resting enough. We don't have any time to really give the great things of who we are to the people with us because we're just, we're there. And so, you know, hey, can I, can I water someone's lawn? Can I fill up some backpacks? Which are brilliant things. Thank you for being such a giving church. But, you know, if immediately in your mind, like, oh, it's just one more thing, it might be, that you're not resting well. When the things of the kingdom become a burden to you, it might be that we're not resting well. And so this morning, I'd love just to talk to you about this. It's just been a theme for me, especially this last year in the congregation oversee, um, the importance of giving yourself margin and space to rest, to be in a place where you're understanding Sabbath, a Sabbath lifestyle. I, I'd like to kind of make that, well, there's, I got to be careful of my language. Um, I was going to say make Sabbath sexy again, but you don't know me, so that might be like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> now I just said it. Now it's out there. Um, <laughs> so just, just edit it. And if John, you're watching, you shouldn't be watching anyways. Um, but you know what I mean? We, we avoid that word because it's like, oh, Sabbath, well, that's the Old Testament, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull you into the New Testament in a moment. Or it's like, oh, that's legalism. No, not really, not legalism. Or it's impossible. How can I give up really, literally, Fraser, one day of my entire week and not do anything? And I want to help you with that understanding, too. Sabbath is not the cessation of doing things. It's the presence of God in the midst of things. That's different, absolutely different. So we'll talk a little bit about that, if that's okay. And, and again, because I'm on this journey with you, I, I want to be as vulnerable as I can. And um, see, this jar on my way here was clear. This was just on my hour ride over here, just riding in my car. It got all cloudy again. And when I, I did a series on Sabbath last year, I believe, or the beginning of this year, 
I use this as an illustration, and so I created this the night before the message, and I let it sit on my counter because it took at least 24 hours for it to get clear again. And the clarity is the beautiful part. That's how we want to see the world. All of us want to have clear thinking. We want to have clear clarity in our relationships and in our decision-making process, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yes or Jesus, you'll be good. Yeah, okay, there you go. And, you know, we want that in our lives. But the reality is we're, we're living our lives like this all the time, moving, 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 moving. And this is what we're seeing through. This is how we're trying to do relationships and parent and work and to be entrepreneurial and to live our spiritual life in a way that is vibrant. This is how we're living. So I, I leave this on my bookshelf at the church because it's, it's so important for me to remember that all the time. And I give my staff permission to come in and shake this jar when they see that my life is without margins. And it's, it's painful when that happens. My administrative assistant, Kathy, bless her heart, will just walk in. She won't say one thing, shake the jar, put it on the bookshelf. And I'm like, okay, time to spend with Jesus. I'm going too fast. And let's be honest, would you drink out of that? Would you give out of that? Not just here, but on Monday and with the people you love, is that what you want to give them? Is that living water, living springs? No, right? So we want to we get to that place. All right, well, I've given you plenty of time to find Genesis, so let, let's, let's dive in for a little bit there. Uh, one of the things we do at our church, I hope it's okay, I'm just going to impose this on you guys a little bit, and you know, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it, but I, the most important thing for me is that you don't walk out going, wow, that was really great what he said. The most important thing for me is that you're like, wow, God, you're really speaking to my heart. And the one thing that I've found that is faithful all the way through, you'll have lots of speakers come and go. You have an amazing pastor, Pastor John, who's a remarkable preacher. I, I hope that your heart is, I don't want to remember the words of man or woman. I want to remember the words of God. And so one of the practices we do at our church, very simple. I just ask, and I think I have a slide for you. You just you put your hand on your Bible, just like this, and you say this with me. Father God, open my heart to receive your word today. And if you feel comfortable, you can put your hand on your head and say, Holy Spirit, open my mind to receive your truth today. And then just gently extend your hand to your neighbor so you don't poke him in the eye and say, Jesus, bless my neighbor to live out your commands today. And if that's all I've given you today, I will call that a good day because it is God's word, isn't it? All right, Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning of the book. Let me just read this out to you. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested. Say, rested with me. On the seventh day, from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, or made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So let's just pause there for a moment. Up to this point, we know that God has been working, right? Genesis chapter 1, God is in this rhythm of working. He is he's speaking out. He is giving life. It's, the Hebrew word is barah. He is creating something out of nothing. It's a word that's just reserved for this passage of Scripture. It's the barah of God. It is this idea that he can take something, make it out of complete nothingness. 
And so God speaks it out, and he begins to see things happen. And you know the story. You've read it often. Everyone kind of knows the story, whether you're secular or you're saved. You know the story. God begins to do these things, and he speaks them out, and this rhythm begins to happen. As he exhales, something comes out of his mouth that is proclaimed and is created. He takes, you know, this idea of like, wait a minute. There's a deep inhale, and he begins to work again. And then at the end of the day, he exhales one more time, and he says, oh, this is good. That's the rhythm of God. And I, I want to teach us to learn how to get back into the rhythms of God. Because what the world is doing, it's, it's taking your breath away by the pace you're going. And you're not able to catch your breath. I don't want you to catch your own breath. I want you to catch his breath. I want you to catch the rhythms of God in your daily life so that as you're going through your day, you're speaking for something that is going to be creative and beautiful in your home, in your marketplace, in your church, over your pastor, over the, the life of this congregation in this city. God, we are believing that something creative, the bra of God, is going to happen by the Spirit of God. And I want us to take time throughout the day as I work with you to take a deep inhale and to see where your work so that at the end of the day, I can breathe out and say, that was good. Now, if you're not giving yourself space and time to do that, you're doing a lot of things that you think are good, but it's not what God desires. You have to be in a constant partnership with what God is doing in his breath, the rhythm of his breath. And it just means slowing down and stopping. And so Sabbath is not just, I'm going to take a whole day off and not do anything or sit in front of the TV and play PlayStation 4 all day uh, or Netflix binge. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these sacred moments in your day where you pause and just say, wait a minute, God, I'd like to see how you're working in this and what you think is good. So I got myself a little fancy watch here. It's called the Get Gear Fit something something. Way too expensive, but it's on my wrist. And it connects to my phone. It connects to my life. And I don't need any more connectivity, just so you know. So I turn off most of the connects. But what I did set it to is that every 50 minutes, if I'm just sitting and working, it'll say, get up, lazy. No, it doesn't say that. It, it, it says, time to move, time to stretch. It's very positive, very encouraging. And what I have to do physically is push a button and say, all right, I'm going to do it. Or I have to do some kind of stretch or do some kind of walking, which is great. What I've done in my life, every 50 minutes, this will pop on and say, wait a minute. I can stop and let this be a rhythm with me and God. Just for a few minutes. Maybe just a minute. Let me just say, what you just did at the beginning of the service for 10 seconds was Sabbath. So turn to your neighbor like, I can do this. I can do it. It's only 10 seconds. You can. You can just pause and you'll see that your muscle of Sabbath will begin to grow and get strong. It's like, because the more you do it, the more you're going to love being in his presence and hearing his goodness. And evaluating where you are. How many of you are parents out there? How many of you know that parenting can take your breath away? Not like in a, oh my God, you're beautiful, but like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> Take your breath away, right? How about if you pause in these often moments and you catch God's breath and you're reminded, oh, wait a minute, Lord, you gave me these beautiful, wonderful creatures of your creation, God. 
and I'm going to seek what is good in this moment. Or maybe it's the pause where the fruit of the Spirit comes in, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, come in at that moment by the Spirit of God. It's like, wait a minute, they're not the issue, Lord. I'm the issue. I'm not being very good. Now, of course, not in this group. You guys are holy. You never experienced that. But, you know, for those other people out there, <laughs> it's that idea, wait a minute, God. I, I need your rhythm again. I'm going too fast. You know, just recently as my children get older, now they're in their 20s, I've really appreciated this time just to sit with them at the table and hear their story and hear their hearts. And in my life, my life is full But if I don't give space to my children, what am I modeling about the good, good father that we just sang about? I need to have enough space where I can just stop and listen. And then I can respond to them and say, wow, that seems so good. Or maybe we should try this. Or we can just step step back and clap and say, that's amazing. Let me encourage you with this too, and this rhythm and this breath of God. That you know the story, you go on, and of course he creates all these amazing things, right? Snakes, I'm still trying to figure out. (laughs) Poisonous spiders in Australia, still not sure about yet. But he creates all these brilliant things, and at the very end of his creation, the pinnacle of his creation, right, that we think are you and I. And there's a little bit of a a simple phrase, it's just, just one word just changes this goodness to very good. And wouldn't you want to hear that on a daily basis, a moment basis, every hour? Wait a minute, I created you and you're very good. In those moments when it's like, this seems so impossible, I'm so wrecked, I'm so tired, God. This work, this, this home, this life, my body, my finances, it's overwhelming. Wouldn't you love just to pause for a moment and hear the breath of God speak over you? But you're very good. Matter of fact, just as this is a side note, this is for free. When Jesus got baptized and the sky opened up, what did the Father said? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Can I tell you this? Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He had just lived his life. It was his identity secured in the Father that said, you're really good without even doing one thing. That's what grace is. That's the goodness of God and to learn to catch his breath, to catch the rhythms of God is to recognize that you're his masterpiece. What takes God's breath away? You do. You take his breath away. Ephesians says that we have been created as this great workmanship. That word in the Greek is actually poema. It means you're his masterpiece. You're his great poem that he writes these great, wonderful love sonnets over. I know guys are like, I don't want a love sonnet. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Even though Hallmark was made for women, we like them. It is this idea of, wait a minute, because as men, particularly, we struggle with this identity. Am I love? Am I lovable? Can I love? Why not hear from the goodness of God every day? You are very good. You have the capacity to love well. You're his masterpiece. We're doing okay? Hanging in there? So you can take his breath away. You recognize that you're there. And so I need to recognize that's the rhythm that God wants me in. Now, this is kind of, we'll we'll move quickly because I have about 10 minutes left. 
You go back to the story, and there's this rhythm. So God is saying, I'd like you to go back to a rhythm that things are good. I want to explain what is good in the midst of your life. Not, you know, at the end of your life, but in the daily moments of your life. This is good. This is good. It's great course correction. Then to hear our identity being secure in that rhythm, that's enough to have a Sabbath lifestyle. Just say, God, I need to know that I am loved by you and that I am good and that you are guiding my life in a way that I'm being formed deeply by you. But here's the thing that we often miss. There's something that happens in the creative order. We often put humanity as the pinnacle of creation. And I would agree with that. I mean, look around this room. You are wonderfully and fearfully made by God. Beautiful you are. You are the pinnacle of his creation, no doubt. But we, when we read this passage, we go through it so quickly because we get to the seventh day and all we think about is rest. But it actually says that God finished his work. In the Hebrew structure, he finished the work and created rest. So we read it like he finished work and he rested and he put his foot up on Pluto and he's like, ah, finally I'm done. So much work. You know what I mean? That's not what God did. His actual final act because of your very goodness was to create rest. The Hebrew word is manuah is what the ancient rabbis would call it. This idea of he created serenity and tranquility and peace. The shalom of God was created on the seventh day for your benefit, not his. God never gets tired. He never slumbers. He's type A. He can do stuff. (laughs) He can do stuff all the time. Not a problem. He created rest because of your very goodness And he knew it, he created it because he didn't want legalism. He didn't want it to be some kind of Old Testament regulation. He wanted it to be a relationship. Let's just cease working. Let me create rest for you for one primary reason, so we can be together. Powerful, right? Exodus goes on to explain Sabbath, right, as you go through the Ten Commandments. It's a different Hebrew word. It's vayna fresh which kind of already implies you can hear it. It means it was the refreshment of God to rest. That's amazing to me that God said, I am refreshing my whole creation for your benefit. So this rhythm that we get in, we recognize God and his beauty creates Sabbath as a place of rest for us, for our goodness. It is Again, not the highest part of his creation, but I would say, beloved, it's right underneath. And we often go past these verses so very fast that we don't recognize that, wait a minute, God created this for me? Not out of legalism, not out of some Old Testament law or regulation, but out of relationship. Because in his goodness, he knew I needed rest. Otherwise, I will get carried away with my very goodness. Isn't that the truth? I can pull this off. I can do this. I'll take care of that. I'll work hard. I will make sure. I will get this done. I want significance by people looking at my life and seeing how my schedule is so full. I will find value in what I do, not in who I am. Are we doing okay out there? Okay, good. Because you got really quiet and I've got nervous. It's okay. So I'll try to wrap this up real quick. And so the definition of Sabbath for me, uh, I think I have it on the screen. Maybe you can find it for me. There we go. Sabbath, a sacred time to stop, rest. Notice with me, play and delight as I create sacred space. 
in order that I may become holy and demonstrate his redemption to the world. Let's just leave that up for a moment. There's these three ideas of Sabbath. It's a sacred time, it's a sacred space, and it's a sacred modeling. So I'm going to give myself time to be with him. Beloved, it doesn't have to be a full day. Eventually you'll get there because you'll want to get there but not because you have to get there. You'll want to get there, and that'll be different. That'll be the better motivation. And you'll create a time, like, God, I, I want this moment with you. Some of you, it's early. Some of you are night owls. My wife is early bird night owl. It's, it's hard sometimes, but she's up and going and can stay up late and all those things. But she's an amazing intercessor, and so she just finds these sacred spots. She's in the marketplace. She's been doing it for 35 years, and so she's busy, and she's overseeing people and stuff and out in the marketplace. So sometimes she'll just pull her car over and just have sacred times with God in between clients or in between an email or in between a phone call. I'm just going to pause and take a sacred moment with God, time, space, because of the goodness of God, and we are the temple of the living God. Wherever you go, God goes with you. So it can be in this building. It could be in your car. It could be in your home. It could be at Walmart. It could be wherever you want it to be. You can find sacred space because of the sacred part of God is with you. Wherever you go becomes holy around you, I hope. That's the goal. We're a holiness denomination. I hope wherever you go, holiness follows you and goes in front of you and is imparted to those near you. It becomes a sacred space for you to meet with God. So don't, don't worry about it. It has to be at church on this hour at this time. Don't put that pressure on you. Don't do it. Because then you'll resent it. Find the space. Make it sacred. For you young parents, it's like the bathroom. Bathroom is my sacred space. You lock the door. Stay out! <laughs> this is my space with God. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. And then the sacred modeling is simply this. Should we not be modeling what rest looks like to the world? Did you know that Jesus never ran anywhere in the Gospels? Never. Even when they want to kill him, he walks through the crowd. He doesn't run from any mob. Ever. Now, I think Jesus could run. I think he was in good shape. I do. But I... He never was anxious to get somewhere or to leave at a certain time. He was always in time. And that is so important, beloved, because we need to be modeling to the world what it means to be in time, in rest. Because if they're not getting the very best from you, where are they getting the best from? And if Jesus is the very best, why wouldn't we want to give them him? My Sabbath lifestyle models to the world what it means to rest in a God who loves me because what it says is I don't have to be in control. God is my provider. It's the immediate witness. How can you rest in that? I don't have to be anxious. God's my provider. Oh, aren't you worried about that person who's in the hospital? I'm not worried about that. God is my healer. I can rest in him. Does that make sense? Take your time, space, modeling. All right, I'll wrap it up this way. We'll get the worship team up here. Otherwise, I'll just keep going and going and going. And the music somehow allows the preacher to go whoop, <laughs> which is beautiful. Let, let me say this. Let me say a few things here. I think one of the things we forget about Sabbath is that we think Sabbath is about a time set apart, and we forget that Sabbath is actually a person to be imparted. It's Jesus. 
And this is why this is so important. Do you know in Scripture, in the Gospel of Mark particularly, it says that Jesus self-proclaims that he's the Lord of the Sabbath? Have you ever heard that? Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we put it like this title, right? That he is something up here over something. And that, that's not actually an accurate way to translate that. What he's actually saying is, I am the Lord and I am Sabbath. Jesus is Sabbath. This is going to be a little bit of a mind twister. It's not this day set apart. Jesus actually is Sabbath. When you go to Luke chapter 4 and you hear the mission of God, when Jesus speaks out, hey, we've got to preach the good news to the poor. We've got to proclaim all this goodness. We've got to see the oppressed set free. And at the end of this tagline that he steals from Isaiah, holy stealing from Jesus, he says, because it's the year of favor, it's the year of jubilee, right? Maybe you've heard that term. Do you know what that actually means? It means that in the, for the people of God, the Israelites, that every 70 years there would be this year of jubilee. There would be Sabbath rest for the whole nation and every part of economy. What Jesus was saying, I have come to proclaim rest for the people of God. When you get to Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me all you are weary and burdened so I can give you rest. That word actually should be better translated. I give you shalom and I give you Sabbath. Why can he give you those things? Because he is Sabbath. So if you're avoiding the idea of Sabbath, what you really are is avoiding Jesus. I don't have time to rest. What you're saying is, I don't have time for you, Jesus. Why? God, you see my life, my world, there's so much going on. What you're saying is that you don't have time for him. Let's just be honest. Not for this legalistic requirement, not because this guy from Ranch Cucamonga said, I must do Sabbath. What you're really doing, you're avoiding Jesus. My last illustration, we'll sing a song, and, and then I'd love to pray for you, if that's okay, at the very end, that you would experience rest and refreshment. So as I mentioned, I'm married to Joanne, uh, my fiery Puerto Rican Mexican wife, and uh, I love her. And, uh, and Joanne is, is quite a bit shorter than I am, so I'm 6'1", she's about, well, let me be, she's like 5'3", we'll give her that today, because she's not here. And... Um, so when we walk together, I tend to walk faster, and my strides are longer. And because my wife is an extrovert and doesn't always process what she's going to say, it just comes out first. <laughs> you know I'm talking about extroverts, right? You know I'm talking about if you're married to one. And so it is, you know, fire at the back of my head, in love, of course, in love. Um, Hello up there, you're with me, <laughs> right? And so I, I have to consciously pause so that I can walk with her. Now, you know, take it out of that context. We're going at such a pace that the beloved of our hearts is calling out in love, hello, you're ahead of me. And all God desires, friend, no guilt trip, is just to be with you. Not to condemn you. Some of us are afraid to be with God because we think he's mad. God's in a good mood. He really is. He doesn't have time to be like, oh, I'm so grumpy today. He, he's in a great mood all the time. It's hard for us to fathom a God who is merciful and full of justice that he would have to be angry in order to do that. That's not true. He is holy, holy other with the capacity to have all of our emotions without sin. Right? It's the goodness of God. 
He's not in a bad mood. And when he thinks of you, he hasn't changed his mind that you're still very good. Because when you were formed in the womb, as Jeremiah said, before you were even brought to this world, he held you in his hand, Scripture says. And he looked at you and says, I think you're the most beautiful person in the world. God did not change his mind when you came through your mother's womb onto this earth and the world had a chance to get at you. He still holds you in his hands and says, I think you're beautiful. Why wouldn't you want to spend time with that Jesus? So this is what I'd like us to do. I'd like for us as we sing through this song just to reflect on the idea, am I really resting? And am I avoiding rest with the realization that I'm actually avoiding Jesus? And don't let it be condemning. Let it be a moment of conviction to say, you know what? I'm going to find sacred moments to rest. I've given you some examples on the back of your sermon notes. This is just a really easy exercise. Just be silent for a few seconds. Try that. And just say, God, I just want to be with you. And let him speak into those moments. You'll be surprised how much wisdom the creator of the universe actually has that he wants to impart to you. But he wants to give you the vayanafesh of God to be refreshed again so that in partnership with him, you will say, God, this was so good. This was hard what we faced today, but you are with me and you're good. So good.